the Subject ACT with me, Heather Murray. Tonight I'm bringing you a couple of Encore interviews as part of our summer season. Later in the show we'll hear from Will Hansen from Aussiearc about rewilding mainland Australia with Tassie Devils. But first let's look a little closer to home. Over the past year and a bit, the Conservation Council ACT region has been calling upon Defence Housing Australia to rethink a proposed development at Lawson North in Belconnen. And if you're unsure where Lawson is, it's situated just across the road from the Canberra Uni, a stone's throw from Lake Ginandera. Defence Housing Australia's original proposal was to build over the endangered natural temperate grasslands in the area. Grasslands that should, in fact, be protected under federal environment laws. Rather than scrap the idea in the face of significant scientific criticism and community outcry, DHA decided to go back to the drawing board to tweak the plan, which they re-released about eight weeks ago. And they're still aiming to build over this endangered grassland area. Helen Oakey, Executive Director of the Conservation Council ACT region, recently commented that the revised master plan shows that Defence Housing Australia is prepared to trade critically endangered habitats and threatened species to cross-subsidise housing for defence personnel. Tonight I'm playing an interview from last year where Helen Oakey discusses this matter in some detail, shining a light on why we should care and how we can make our voices heard. Welcome, Helen. Hi, Hedda. Thanks for having me. No worries. Great to have you here. Helen, I understand that the land in question, which is over 140 hectares, is owned by the Commonwealth. Can you give us a bit of a backstory on how this land has been used and paint a sketch of what the Commonwealth proposed to do with it now? Yeah, so the, the area that we're talking about is North Lawson. So it's the suburb of Lawson. It's that northern half of the suburb. Um, and people might be familiar that the south area of Lawson has just recently been developed for housing. That was ACT land. Um, but this site is actually where they had the Belcon and Naval Transmitting Station on, the BNTS. And so basically it was a defence facility and it's got quite significant heritage values with regards to the role that it played. Defence have owned that land or have had control of that land and so it now comes under the National Capital Authority and it's been transferred to Defence Housing Australia for their use. So they're proposing to... Yeah, so Defence Housing Australia are proposing to put an urban development on the eastern side of the land. Um, it's a very large block, as you indicated. And so it, the area of land that we're talking about that they're proposing to develop is the area um, on and around where the Naval Transmission Station development was. And the housing that they're proposing to put there would be about 50% for defence housing families mm -hmm. and about 50% for general lease to the ACT community. Okay. Given that development is going on right across the territory at the moment, why is this plot of land important and why should listeners be concerned? Well, what's interesting about this plot of land is because it's been defence land almost and because it hasn't been touched, it is actually one of the largest pieces of the critically endangered habitat of um, grasslands, native temperate gra natural temperate grasslands, and potentially also some woodland areas, so box gum woodlands. Now, that means that it is the home to 
um, a range of um, endangered species and vulnerable species. And it's also just a really important site because it is so big that many of these species that actually need they need space and they've been threatened by their habitat being chopped up into small pieces. Having such a large block of land actually means that they've they've got an opportunity there to thrive. So it is a very important area. Mm. And in the ACT, we're very lucky because we actually have some of the best examples of natural temperate grassland. But it's definitely worth protecting. And there are a number of species in there that listeners are probably quite familiar with that actually live in those grasslands and that we should be looking after. And what species are, are living there at the moment? Um, so some of the ones that will be familiar to people, so the golden sun moth is an iconic species that people will know about, um, striped les- legless lizard. We have a number of plant species, the nodding chocolate lily, some of the grasses that are actually very endemic to this region. So there are lots of different species that we should be protecting. You know, and, and the thing is that people don't really look at a grassland at, like they look at a rainforest. No. And this is one of the challenges that we have. I mean, some of these species are really, really fascinating, but we don't know their stories very well. For example, the golden sun moth lives underground for three years, comes above the ground for one to four days, and it flies around, you know, it lives literally its its purpose above ground is to mate, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the um the you know the male the males are flying around trying to find the females, and the females are sort of landing on the grasses and you know yes. waiting for the sun to land on their backs so that they can be spotted by the males, um, and that's what they do. Yes. <laughs> um, you know the striped legless lizard. People often say, well, why is it why is it not a snake? Why is it a lizard and not a snake if it's got no legs? And obviously it has a whole bunch of other features that make it more lizard like than snake like. Mm. One of the things that that is a feature of the striped legless lizard is that when it's under attack, firstly, it emits a little squeaking sound to warn all the other lizards that there might be danger in the area. And and then it can jump quite high as well. Oh, okay. Um, which it can jump sort of 30 centimetres into oh the air. Oh, my gosh. Even though it's got no legs, which is quite something. Um, and then the Good other thing... About, strength. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then the other thing about it is that if it's really under threat, it can actually drop its tail, leave its tail behind wiggling as a bit of a distraction while it gets away from whatever the predator is. And there you go, there's your answer about why it's not a snake. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a small, potentially unauspicious little bit of uh, fauna, but every one of these things has a really unique and special story. Mm. And this is our biodiversity and this is the biodiversity that, that we want to protect because there's so little of it left and it is what was here. And many of these species are endemic to the ACT and this region. Mm. Defence Housing Australia have been reported as saying that a significant proportion of the site will be preserved for conservation. And I've got a quote here. The proposed development will provide open space, parkland and community facilities for residents and the wider public to enjoy. The design of the proposed estate balances the history and environmental values of the site with residential and community uses. Does this hold water, Helen? Have DHA taken your concerns on board? Well, we know that DHA certainly sat up and listened. We sent a letter last year that was signed on by over 100 organisations and ecologists and scientists and experts. And we know that they have gone back to the drawing board with their initial proposal. They have reviewed their ecological assessments and their heritage assessments. 
So we hope that they're listening, but we also know that they are still planning to proceed with this development, irrespective. And I guess our concern is that we believe that if they were to only develop the areas of that site that were suitable for development, then it's actually not going to be a viable place for a suburb because it's actually not there's not enough room or a big enough space to put a viable suburb in. So I think that's going to be the critical question is what is how much is defence looking to actually develop to make the proposal viable for them and will that actually then continue to encroach on grassland? And the important thing to remember is that whenever we put human beings in the middle of a grassland, we run up against problems in terms of protecting the biodiversity. So the things that humans do are actually can be quite detrimental to grasslands. So, for example, cats. I mean, this would almost certainly have to be a cat containment area, but cats can still get free. Walking animals through grasslands, mowing and having non-native species in gardens that then blow seeds into the grassland that mm. shouldn't be in there. So we end up with weed, invasive weed problems. And when you have a development that is effectively going to be on a spit of land that reaches into and has grassland on all sides, grassland and woodlands on all sides, what we actually would need to see is a fairly substantial buffer zone between the development and the grassland in order to protect the grassland values. Again, that's going to impinge on the amount of the footprint that's available for development. So we just don't see how they're going to be able to do that. Um, And the other thing that their current proposal has actually ends up isolating a section of fairly good quality grassland on the eastern side of the block. This is the problem that we have. These areas are being chopped up and chopped up and chopped up until they're smaller and smaller and smaller. And a lot of these species don't do very well in small areas. They need space to, to move, to breed, to feed and when we isolate grasslands and we surround them by urban areas, we're effectively condemning them to decreasing in their quality and losing their biodiversity values. Mm. Mm. These, these areas are listed under federal law as critically endangered habitats. We need to stop building on them, mm. full stop. It, you know, we've got to stop. And if we, if we can't stop building on them in total, we definitely need to stop building on areas that are large and continuous and that actually provide a substantial habitat for these species. Mm. This, this picture is quite complicated given that it's the Commonwealth that own this land, but they're talking about building a suburb on it which will be occupied by ACT residents. So how does the ACT government and Rebecca Vassarotti, the Minister for Environment and Heritage, fit into this picture? So in terms of the ACT government, we know that the ACT Greens are opposed to this development happening Mm -hmm. um, and they have actually firmed up that position in recent weeks. We don't have a clear position from the other political parties in the ACT, but we, we know that they're all aware of it and they're all conscious of it. But what we need to see is the ACT government potentially communicating to Defence Housing Australia that they're not actually supportive of the development going ahead and that they're not interested in accepting that suburb into the ACT's jurisdiction. Now, it's not immediately clear to us yet how that process happens. We know there's a long conversation over a period of years. I mean, the other question is really, if the ACT government is left to manage it as a grassland, you know, you would want to be having a conversation with the ACT government about that as well. Mm. So you're right, it is complex, but effectively the first port of call is the federal environmental approval then the National Capital Authority approval for the planning and 
at the same time, we need to be talking to the ACT government about what they can do to communicate to Defence Housing Australia that this is not an appropriate development. Mm, it is a complex It is, unfortunately, a complex issue. Yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Helen, how can listeners who are concerned about our biodiversity crisis uh, and how it's impacting right here in the ACT, how can they get involved in your campaign? So the best thing to do would be to go to our website and if you go to our website and look under Nature and Waterways, you'll see the Save North Lawson campaign. We have a petition on the website there that people can sign and send a letter to the general manager at Defence Housing Australia. We've also got an email list that people can sign up to. Right now, we're waiting for Defence Housing Australia to get in touch with us, to brief us on the next version of their proposal, which we've been told that they will do before they make that referral to the Environment Department, the Federal Environment Department. And so when we see that second proposal, we'll have a much clearer idea of what they're, what they're thinking. So, you know, it's, it's a really interesting one because they're a federal organisation. And yes, you know, we understand that housing is at a premium in the ACT. And so that argument will always be used. Um, but at the same time, we need to do the do that housing development in a more thoughtful way and in a way that's actually much more sympathetic to our mm. local environment. And I think we need to really just for once say, you know, you actually can't just build over something that is a critically endangered habitat. Mm. You You actually just need to not do it rather than do it with all these terms and conditions that effectively end up degrading the environment anyway. Yes. Well, let's hope sincerely that the... Uh all the powers that be do do the right thing and that the community voice can really fight back against this proposal. Yes, I mean, that's, that's what we really need to do. Mm. So we'll be continuing, yeah, continuing to engage with the community. Mm. Well, thanks, Helen, for taking time out to talk today about this vital campaign. If you would like to find out more about the Lawson North campaign, jump onto the Conservation Council ACT's website page, as Helen suggested. There's loads of information there and I'll post some links on the Subject ACT Facebook page. I've been talking with Helen Oakey, Executive Director of the Conservation Council ACT region. Thanks again, Helen. Thanks so much, Heather. Lovely to talk to you. You're listening to 2XXFM. And the program is Subject ACT. I'm Heather Murray. Now, as mentioned at the top of the show, I'm bringing you an encore interview with Will Hansen from Ozark. He tells a story of great resilience and ecological ingenuity. So stick with me as we go in search of the devil. The heart-stopping cry of the Tasmanian devil hasn't been heard on the mainland of Australia for some 3,000 years. But now, through the collaborative work of Aussie Ark, Global Wildlife Conservation and Wild Ark, these little rascals are making Barrington Tops, north of Sydney, their home. It's known as the hashtag Devil Come Back Project. With me to chat about this and more is Will Hanson from Aussie Ark. Welcome, Will. Thank you, Hedda. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Now, the cry of that Tasmanian devil is really something else, isn't it? Yes, it's a bit haunting. It would have been fairly haunting to the uh, first explorers, which is apparently why it got the name the devil. It sounds just like that, and they've got uh, those little red ears that they, uh, <laughs> pump their blood through, so they look like little horns. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, pretty scary. 
Now, the hashtag Devil Come Back project is pretty exciting. What are the details? So, Aussiearch um, first came into existence as a bit of a call to arms against the what seemed to be a rapid decline and, and imminent extinction of the Tasmanian devil in the wild in Tasmania due to the devil facial tumour disease. Um, we started that about uh, 12 years ago now, and the scenario was that the, the devil facial tumour disease was ripping through the wild population at a horrific rate. It went from, in 96, around 250,000 uh, devils estimated in Tasmania down to the current 15 to 20,000. So, right. um, and at the time, though, um, the model suggested that they might be extinct within 10 to 15 years. Mm. So the founders, John and Robin Weigel at the Australian Reptile Park and the directors, uh, Tim Faulkner and Liz Bella, got involved and eventually created this amazing facility in the Barrington Tops at the time called uh, Devil Ark. And they set about cracking the code basically to setting up genetically diverse populations that uh, retained their wild habits and their wild type breeding behaviours. So what that came down to was really just giving them a bit more space than anyone had before in captive breeding scenarios and they really flourished and bred at high rates and mm -hmm. remained healthy due to a fairly strict protocol of bringing devils into the country. Uh, that We've never had devil facial tumour disease on the mainland so they're all disease free animals. Um, which is obviously uh, essential to maintain. So fast forward uh, 10 or 12 years, we've got over 200 Tasmanian devils breeding each year at Aussie Ark. The name changed from Devil Ark to Aussie Ark about uh, four years ago when, when we'd really cracked the code and, and done a, a great deal of good for the Tasmanian devils and we started... Uh, venturing into captive breeding populations for a whole range of other small marsupials. So now Ozziarchy is at the stage where we've got very large feral-free sanctuaries that we can move to the next phase of rewilding. So it's uh, more or less a three-stage process. You've got the species recovery, which might be intensive uh, breeding of those flagship species, in this case the uh, Tasmanian devil, um, making sure that they're obviously healthy genetically and otherwise and having those wild-type habits that enable them to survive in the wild and release the sanctuaries um, and then hopefully rewilding into the future. Mm. So I guess the Barrington Tops reintroduction would bode well for the devil uh, and give them the opportunity to breed up a healthy population before establishing themselves as an apex predator. Exactly right. That's exactly what it affords them, the space and it's a perfect climate up there. It's very similar to Tasmania. Not forgetting they did once roam the vast majority of the Australian continent, so they, they can survive in warmer climates, but oh, okay. uh, the mountain tops mimics Tasmania really well and suits them down to the ground. It will enable them to grow to much larger numbers on the mainland than we have and, and other organisations have been able to uh, grow them to in the past because they will be living on a you know, much larger scale, much broader ranges, hopefully, as this project continues and foraging and performing those ecological 
roles that they are designed to perform. Mm. By the way, are there any ideas on why they were lost to the mainland 3,000 years ago? Yeah, it's, it's uh, fairly likely that it was the introduction of the dingo um, ah. that eventually wiped them out. They think the dingo came in somewhere between five and 8,000 years ago. It, it appears that the devils disappeared around... 3,000, so it was probably the, the dingo that came, came in from the north um, eventually came down, and they, they're they a much bigger animal. They can hunt in packs. They're much more intelligent, and they probably would have um, eventually exterminated them from yeah. the mainland. The issue now is that with Australia being a very agricultural country, the dingo has been persecuted, and we're unable to reconcile with the poor old dingo. Pastoralists can't abide the slaughter of their lambs and there's been no no really effective way to manage them, but they are being wiped out across our country, um, leaving this gaping niche for a, a top-order predator. The thought with the devil is that it could be reintroduced without a lot of that friction between um, agriculture um, and the and the animals because they they aren't as active and they they don't predate they won't chase down large prey and things like that oh, okay. more or less although they are still classified as as predators because they can take down a sick and dying animals but you, you see these things galloping around and they're certainly not fast they rely on their nose to track down animals generally. Um, dead and decaying animals and they clean up those carcasses really well with their incredible um, uh, capabilities when it comes to uh, crushing up bones with their incredible uh, jaw pressure so hopefully that will be a better fit than the dingo has been our, our modern society Let's talk about possible predators then. According to some the fox is the best adapted land based predator in the world but the devil may challenge this, or are they also vulnerable to foxes? And what about wild cats? Yeah, so that is a really fantastic point, Heather. Um, foxes and cats are just both remarkable predators. Not obviously evolved with the Australian marsupials, um, which is fortunate for the marsupials. The um, general escape response from a lot of the small marsupials is to bound away five to ten metres and try and hide and and you obviously can see what the result would be with a clever fox or a clever cat just trotting over and, and, and grabbing that animal. So when it comes to the uh, devils though, it would be a very brave fox or cat that would ever go near a Tasmanian devil and in fact, the fact that uh, Tassie devils will clean up anything and everything in the environment in terms of dead and dying animals really takes a lot of that available calories away from uh, the foxes and cats. They will also predate on a lot of their young as well because they generally give birth in dens and the devils will set them out, go down to the, into the dens and consume the young. In Tasmania there has been multiple ill-advised introductions of the red fox over the years and they could just never take hold. Mm. There are a few feral cats in Tasmania. It's because there's, people keep them as pets, obviously, and there's a constant injection of cats into the wild. And now that the devil populations are crashing in Tasmania, they are seeing a, a rise in oh. um, the, the cat populations. But yeah. 
that just shows how effective these animals could be long term on the cats and foxes mm. that are just really pillaging our native species. They've got a million birds across the country every single night. They're killed just by foxes alone. Gosh. And that's, that's just birds. It doesn't take into account the reptiles, the amphibians, the even invertebrates, the insects that these animals are engorging on every single night. So um, any help on, on that front would be amazing and the Tasmanian devil really could be a, a huge part in the answer to solving that problem. Well, it sounds like this reintroduction could be a real game changer. So what similar projects can you look to for evidence-based success in Australia? Yeah, there is a few. There's, I mean, the, the really famous one is uh, wolves being uh, reintroduced to Yellowstone. And that's a good example of a, a top-order predator completely changing the environment. There's really good data coming out of a place called Mulligan's Flat down in Canberra that you oh, yes. quite familiar with. Yes. And this is more around the introduction of small herbivorous marsupials and their ability to, geez, the list of um, environmental benefits they bring is is ongoing um, and we're still learning, rewilding and getting the macro elements of a ecosystem back to the way we know they should be can have really powerful effects over a relatively short period of time. Mm, mm. I hear that even David Attenborough has started talking about rewilding uh, and advocating for it quite seriously. Yeah, isn't that fantastic? Yeah. I know that uh, his new documentary is absolutely um, a must-watch for every person on this planet, I think. Yes. Bring everyone in line with exactly where we're at what can be done and the fact that not all is lost but we we need to get active well what do you realistically hope for with this project over the next 10 years or so yeah so Aussie Ark in general has proven that we can stave off extinction from a species we've proven that we know how to grow species in relatively small areas what we are planning on doing is just sticking with our tried and true formulas and methods and just having a much bigger footprint, mm. essentially. There is so much area out there that is still in relatively good condition. It's just that the cats and foxes have wiped out all those animals that keep us healthy. So if we can get them back into the environment uh, without too much of a hiatus, um, they should be able to pick up where they left off and mm. return it um to how it should be quite quickly. So we're looking at um, much larger sanctuaries. We're looking at all sorts of ways that we can just extend our reach and extend our um, impact. Um, and, you know, 10 to 20 years, it'd be amazing to have thousands of Tassie devils um, under our care. Um, and it's just a matter of accessing those, those larger parcels of land, which is what we're, what we're aiming at now. Mm. Well, thanks, Will, for taking time out to discuss this really fascinating topic and good luck to the little devils. Yes, thank you, Heather. We're doing our best and we're on a fairly good trajectory. So yes. That should be fine for now. Thank Great. Um, okay. I've been talking with Will Hansen from Aussie Ark and if you'd like to know more about this project or maybe get involved, check out Aussie Ark in your favourite search engine. <music> We're at the close of the show. 
I hope you enjoyed tonight's program. If you missed anything, you can always listen on demand by going to the Subject ACT page in the 2XX program guide at 2XFM.org.au or check out the podcast on SoundCloud by just searching Subject ACT. Next week, we start our 2022 season of interviews. There's always something new on the horizon and we look forward to joining you then. I'm Hedda Murray. Thanks for listening. Thank you.